0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org, where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Vivian. Oh goody! I'm Vivian. I'm a compulsive overreader. Hi, I say oh goody because I am such a compulsive overreader. Um, thank you. Actually, thank you, Lisa for asking me to speak. But thank you for hosting me. Um, I forgot your name right now, Lucy. Lucy, who I know very well. And. <laughs> I, uh, there's a form I had to fill out as a speaker, you cross-addicted, so, um, yes, I am cross-addicted, so if any other people in here are cross-addicted, it actually helped me to work this program better, because I, I worked my other cross-addicted programs really hard, because I was taught really strict rules coming in, and I, um, I was somebody who took step one really soon, i really on a deep level, when, um, tell me your name again, it was... Yes, Sheldon. Sheldon. When Sheldon read um, how it works, and we say we need honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, I sort of knew that I had I could do this program. I'm sort of a compulsive truth-teller. I've, uh, people have to stop me
1: yeah. from
0: telling too much truth that nobody wants to know about, which are really my opinions, I found out later. And... <laughs> <laughs> And I was open to doing anything, because I tried anything to lose weight. Anything. Like, you, it, there was nothing too embarrassing for you to ask me to do if it would make me lose weight. Um, and willingness. I was willing to try anything. So, I, uh, I'll go back to the, the format, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Okay, what it was like. And the first time I can remember compulsively overeating, I was pickles and potato chips. One jar of pickles, one bag of potato chips. I was under seven years old, because we were still living in New York City, and I was sitting watching the television, just going, you know, pickle, potato chip, pickle, potato chip, just stuffing my face. And what would happen is, when I eat, I can just dream. I just get into an altered state where I am not in reality. Now, why does this work for me? I don't know. I'm just built like this. It just does. And... Another thing that I loved, the thing that I loved even more, when I, I outgrew pickles and potato chips, I decided sugar, the sweetest things in the world, those were my favorite things, and I had a real problem with sugar, and Owen, oh, I might as well qualify, for those of you who don't know, I've been absent for 30 years from sugar, which is, and my absence for me, when we came in, our absence was defined by what is our food plan, besides working this steps, so... My food plan, I came up with my sponsor. It's sugar is a fourth ingredient or more. You know, I did not have any bulimic tendencies. I thought it was genius. You know, <laughs> I wish I had thought of it myself. I thought whoever thought of that is brilliant. But I couldn't do it. I, you know, it's sort of like if you are a compulsive overeater, like I was just sort of born this way. I wasn't born a bulimic, but I'm born a sugar addict. And I would build meals around what I was going to eat that was sweet. So when I came in here, my sponsor, Barbara Z, who is no longer with us, she passed away, and she had been, she had been a 100-pounder. She had been really strong in this program, and then she lost her accident, and, and she died young. So it is a killer disease. And we're, a lot of times when somebody dies, it's not even attributed to compulsive overeating, but she was extremely overweight, and she died of complications due to that, which makes me sad. Anyway, um, I can get emotional because I can't believe I have 30 years of abstinence. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. So she told me, you know, why don't you stop eating sugar? She knew that was my problem. And I said, you know, Barbara, I can't. (laughs) Which was actually a good thing to say because it meant I'd taken step one. I knew that I was powerless over food and my life was unmanageable. And she said, well, you know, some people can take sugar back. Why don't you just try it for 30 days and see what happens? Like, try it a day at a time. Do you mind not eating sugar today? And I, and I was like, I don't know, Barbara. I don't know if I can do that, but okay. That will be my abstinence when I'm able to do it. So, at that point, I wasn't abstinent yet. I was just calling her every day. And if in the beginning, and I, can't, I came to Los Angeles. I'm from the East Coast. I was born in New York City. I was someone, when, when I look at pictures of myself as a child... I wasn't fat, but I always thought I was fat. I was always on a diet. I, um, I, I, I My favorite disease was um, pneumonia because I lost 10 pounds when I had pneumonia. And if I could have reinfected myself with pneumonia, you know, like every year and just lost 10 pounds, there's no doubt in my mind I would have done that. You know, like, say I had... I had a researcher father or something with, like, a Petri dish. I would have just kept on doing that. Because you sort of go to, you went to, I went to sleep for two weeks, and I woke up skinny. It was like, this is my dream. (laughs) And even, even later, like, I would try and control my eating by sleeping late Because I thought, you know, if I get up at 1 o'clock, I have gone through the whole morning without eating. You know, this is a victory. (laughs) So, anyway, I, I struggled with weight. Like I say, when I look at pictures of myself now, I don't, I didn't look fat, but you could tell I ate weird. Like, there was not one person who was amongst my friends or relatives who didn't think that I had a, I had a weird relationship with food. Uh, the word compulsive overeater really wasn't around them, but I'm the type of person that I'm at a party, and, like, I, I'm, I'm just circling wherever the food table is. You know, constantly, and and I ate in front of people. I couldn't hide it from people. Some people are good at hiding, and they can wait till they get home. I couldn't do that. You know, I just I, I would eat off your plate. I would eat off your plate, and um, people, you know, they don't really know what to say <laughs> when you eat off their plate, and you can really get away with it. <laughs> no. But. Just suffice to say, I was constantly dieting, constantly, like, my dream, I was like, I'd look at people, like, in white, skinny pants and think, how do they do it? Like, I'd look at, like, someone like Leslie. Yes, exactly. I'm saying, how?
1: (laughs) How do you do that? It was
0: like a mystery to me. And to tell you the truth, even when when I was thin, I would somehow look at myself in the mirror, and I'd be a size four, and I'd think, I'm fat. Like, how come size four looks thin on other people, and it doesn't look thin on me? That's I am not exaggerating. That, that, so if you're having these thought processes or something equally bizarre, you're in the right place. <laughs> um, anyway, so I got here. I I had no um, designs to come to California. I went to school in Washington, D.C., um, some people dream of coming here. I just sort of looked down on it. I sneered at California <laughs> like <in laughs> which is sort of funny um, like in new yorker like there 's a famous New Yorker magazine where there 's like new york and it 's this big part of the country, and then the middle is like the, you know the middle there 's not even states named and then on the end, you sort of California, like you know a little strip out, sort of out there, but like New York is the big thing, and that was in, that was pretty much how I thought of it, but I went to see a a friend of mine, I went to school my junior year. I went to London for school. I had a great time. I ate my way, ate and drank my way through. Had a fabulous time. Never got a good grade. Where I had been somebody who, like, if I would start crying if I didn't get an A. And I actually flunked a course and didn't even know it. I just really started. I think it was a good year for me. So I just let go. It was like I didn't care anymore. And I went and I had a friend that had lived. She lived in L.A. And so I wanted to go visit her. So for my senior year um, graduation present, my parents said, oh, you can, we'll send you to L.A. because I asked them for it. I said, can I do that? So I came out here, and I liked California within an... I liked L.A. within an hour. Within an hour, I was converted. I thought it was going to be like Venice Beach with people juggling chainsaws. And just, and you can find that. but <laughs> But there are a lot of... lot of different types of people here. A lot of people relocate here. So um, I found that I, I, first of all, I really like being friends with my friend. I love the feeling of freedom out here. I feel like in New York, if you do something crazy, you know, they'll let you, but they know you're crazy. Like, here, there's no boundary. Like, you can do anything. And there's, like, close to zero judgment. In fact, they encourage it. You know, the more new and bizarre it is, the more they're like, wow, that's awesome. And I just love the feeling of that, knowing that I can do whatever I want. So I ended up moving here. And that's where OA is. Um, If you're listening to this in a podcast, um, I don't know where, but um, OA was founded in Los Angeles, and it's very strong here. And I started, I didn't know that, of course. I just started sort of blindly moved out here because it's also very easy for me to travel. I didn't have a car because you don't need a car. In fact, a car is a liability on the East Coast. There's nowhere to park it. Um, it gets boots. Um, and public transportation is really good. But here I, um, anyway, I, start, I went to work on a bus and I would take like two buses. But I didn't realize how long things would take. It would take me like two hours to get to work. But I've always been a hard worker, so I just sort of dealt with that. And somebody, and Barbara Z, my first sponsor, worked with me, and she was a 100-pounder. She did not think there was anything wrong with me because I was only 40 pounds overweight. Now, by this time, I finally had gotten heavy. Um, And it's really, it's hard to say when. Like, if a compulsive reader like me, I sort of have no, I don't have a lot of control over my weight as far as, like, uh, I can't say, I will lose five pounds by the end of two weeks. No, I can get in a program, a spiritual program, like Overeaters Anonymous, and suddenly this is lifted, and pounds will shed whenever God wants them to shed, but I've never been able to plan anything like that. It's just part of my disease. Anyway, she looked at me, didn't think there was a problem with me, but one day we were at a a table for, I think, New Year's Eve, and, and there was this pie sitting in front of us, and nobody was eating it, and it was driving me crazy like nobody's eating this pie I didn't even want this pie it was like an apple raisin pie I don't even like that but I just couldn't stand that it was sitting there for so long and finally she's like what happened to that pie and I I looked at her and I go I ate it (laughs) (laughs) and she goes oh my god you are one of us (laughs) and I and also I started dating someone in another program who who like poked me in the hips and he goes you know you need to go to OA. You need to lose some weight. And everybody goes, ah, oh, when you hear this. But let me tell you, I, I didn't feel things from eating. When he said this to me, I didn't feel like, oh, how dare you. I felt like, really, there's a place for me to go? <laughs> like, that's fantastic. And it's like Alcoholics Anonymous. That means it'll work. And I didn't know how, I don't know how I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous. I think it must have been from the television. I did not know anyone in Alcoholics Anonymous, ever. I didn't, but I, I knew that it worked. and I knew it had been around for a long time. And if Overeaters Anonymous was based on this, I knew it was going to work. So I, can't, I walked in. I remember my first share. We were in like a kindergarten, and we were in little tiny chairs, which I think now is a, a really cool place to have an OA meeting. Now that. I think that. <laughs> it's no longer there. Um, And I remember my first year was, I used to eat my way through grocery stores. And I just, I didn't think, you know, later I had to do an amends on that, but I just used to think of that as saving money. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see anything wrong with it. Uh, I really was living in a cloud as to whatever I was doing. I just didn't really see things. When people had hurt my feelings, I didn't feel it right then. I felt it later, and I would start feeling bad, and I didn't know why. Uh, because every time I felt something, I'd cover it up with food, and then I'd push it off till later, because I didn't know how to deal with um, feelings of hurt or negativity, any negative feelings, I didn't know how to deal with. Plus, to celebrate positive feelings, I would eat too. It's like, you know, food is my go-to thing. And I'm just built that way. So if you're just built that way, you're in the right place. Anyway, so I started going to meetings, and I identified right away. And everybody else was like, you know, know, they're clapping that I used to eat in grocery stores and never pay. Like, hooray, that's great. (laughs) And I thought, uh, you know, they're clapping for the share. But I thought, I love this. (laughs) People here understand me. (laughs) Like, I felt like I was finally in a place where people understood. And I finally, I asked Barbara to be my sponsor, and it was so hard. I can just remember, this is when... Uh, well it doesn't really matter before they had cell phones or what but I was just walking around with the telephone in the living room going, oh my god should I call her should I call her should I ask her should I ask her and she told me I had to call her every day and then finally I said will you be my sponsor and she goes, oh I thought you'd never ask and then she said but you need to call me every day so I remember calling her the first time like hi I'm calling you she goes are you okay I Go, yeah she goes Call tomorrow. Click. That was it. That was it. So many things in program that I think are going to be really scary are not so bad. It's like, it's what's in my head that stops me from doing them that is the worst part. She told me, they told me to get commitments. Um, The very first thing, I was absent a month when I got a secretary's commitment for the newcomer's meeting because there were only like five people in the room, and they said, well, the meeting needs a secretary. It's going to close. And, Somebody who was also in program just lifted my elbow in the air and sort of volunteered me, and I went, oh, okay. I was actually sort of flattered, like, wow, you really want me to be secretary? And I was, I did everything, like, we started at, like, 7, 12. You know, everything was by the minute, and I got all these speakers, and I really took it seriously, and that was a good thing. To this day, I think, when when I take birthday candles... The one thing that I think that has kept me in program for as long as I have and kept me abstinent is I've had a commitment every single week of my life, every single day, really, one day at a time. I've had a commitment at a meeting because when I don't want to come here for me, I will come here for you. Because I promised you that I would be there and bring the secretary's bag or bring the coffee and tea. And when I was a coffee and tea person, man, there was never a better spread. <laughs> 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 I, was, I was getting over sugar like everything you could have. Um, that's really what's kept me in program. And it got me out of me. It got me into service because the steps... I did not believe in God when I first got here. I, I didn't disbelieve in God either. I just thought that God was a question that I couldn't figure out, which now I realize that's true. I can't figure it out. But I was at such a point where I couldn't figure it out that I just didn't want to talk about it anymore. And the way they wanted us to, I thought it was like something you fig- try and figure out at school and then you never figure it out. And it's like, oh, we're out of college now. We don't have to talk about God anymore, do we? so boring. So that was pretty much how, I thought it was an intellectual exercise, like, is there a God or isn't there? But when they got here, they told me, why don't you act as if there's a God? Which I would have thought was just pure hypocrisy. I would never have done that. I was like, that's hypocritical. But they said, no, no, you know, just, we call it acting as if. You may call it hypocrisy, but we call it acting as if. So just pray even though you don't believe there's a God. Just pray anyway. So I said, okay, and I felt very embarrassed, but I did. I prayed, and that was how I got my abstinence to start out with. I was walking into Cafe Casino. I still haven't started, uh, being abstinent or not, and they had, it was a big place to eat, like, a long time ago. A lot of people in program and overeaters anonymous went because they had healthy food, but they also had a big pastry section. Yes. And um, I remember walking in, looking at the pastry section, me with the sugar addiction, and I prayed because that was what my sponsor told me to do, you know. And it wasn't like I felt like any lightning bolt hit me. I didn't. I didn't feel like a lightning bolt hit me. But I ended up walking out. I ended up walking out of the store. And till that night, that night, I didn't have any sugar, and that was my first day. So that was my first day of abstinence. And then months later, I realized... Um, it says in in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is our textbook for this, we substitute um, food or compulsive overreating for alcohol and alcoholism, and it says that we have an, an allergic reaction. And I, my allergic reaction to sugar, I realized was I would sleep too much. Remember I always go to you know I'd be sleeping till one o'clock, and I had sinus headaches constantly. I was always taking sinUtab. I remember when I was in London that year, they didn't sell sinUtab. There was no Sinutab, and I had the worst headache until I finally got home for Christmas, and then I, like, stuffed my my luggage with Sinutab. Um, I did not know that that was, that was all from the sugar. As soon as I stopped eating the sugar, like, six, nine months later, I realized I didn't have headaches anymore. Um, a lot of good things have happened since me becoming I Well, first, I, you know, if you're new, I finally was able to you know, get into jeans. I, I didn't let myself wear jeans. I would not let myself wear anything unless I thought I looked good. I was the type of person that would look at myself in a mirror before I was going to go to a party and, and if I did felt like I didn't look good, I'd say, "Oh, I don't feel like going." well really it was just I was too ego-driven to go. I thought, "I don't look good enough like so I'm not leaving this house." And I didn't I hadn't worn a bathing suit in years. Um, I hadn't put on jeans. I hadn't put on pants for years. And I started doing that here. And they they had this beach meeting where only people in OA would go to start with, and that was where I started wearing a bathing suit. Anyway, um, they told me to do things like when you go through the steps, when you write down what you've done wrong in your life and what you feel sorry for. Here's a tip for anybody who has not done their fourth step yet or who's contemplating it. I once heard a speaker say um, she'd heard many fourth steps, and she said that, Probably the worst thing you've done has to do with sex. It's probably something to do with sex. She said, write it down first, and then write the rest of your inventory. And I took that advice. That was really good advice, because there was one sexual thing that I thought I would never tell anybody. And I wrote it down first. And I finished my inventory, and then I I can still see myself telling my... um, if I know I had another sponsor. Her name was... um, I can't remember anyone's name today. Anyway, I can see her face. And... And she, and she wanted me to read it, and I, and I finally, I read it. And she goes, And I read this sex thing, that I th- thought I'd never tell anybody. And she goes, is that it? And then she, like, she named something w- much worse that she'd done. And I just went, oh, like, wow. <laughs> it was like that similar feeling of when you feel like everybody's going to shame you for eating through a grocery store or whatever, and everybody's like, yeah, that's great. Or, or your terrible, most terrible thing is not so terrible. Well my most terrible thing is not so terrible, I don't have to eat over it anymore. And I don't have to do it anymore. And I don't have to hide it anymore. And I don't have to eat over trying to hide it. So I started, so I, they told me to do amends. Um, I remember I went to this one place that I had worked, and I had stolen these pictures from the walls because I thought they were pretty.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't think they'd miss them. Yeah, they were a big studio. Yeah, why should they care? They weren't going to see me. So, um, I sh- so my sponsor said, "You need to give those back." <laughs> I was like, "I called that redecorating my apartment." So, so I remember bringing the pictures back to the studio, and you think you you don't know what people are going to say. You think you, you're sort of scared, like, "Oh my God, I can't believe it." Anyway, they're like, "You brought this back." They're like. I can't believe you did this. What a good person you are <laughs> for bringing back these pictures that you
1: stole.
0: <laughs> but they mean it. Like they get, they, People are blown away by working the steps of the program because you, making restitution for things you've done wrong uh, really levels your ego. It, it's, it's things people don't want to do. We, I only did it because I didn't want to compulsively overeat anymore or do any of the other things that um, I was addicted to. So that was a lovely reaction. Sometimes um, I got no reaction. Like I would I remember I sent a letter three times to someone trying to apologize and then finally I realized she just doesn't want to acknowledge this. I need to just let it go. Just let it go. Like it says in the big book, that's water under the bridge. Um, a, a big one that I had, oh, another thing. Let's see, which shall we do first? Let's do the jobs. Okay. So... I found that the things that I hold on to the most are the things that I have the most trouble with. The things that I give to God to have, to handle, those start going very smoothly. The ones that I hold on to, because I'm not sure God wants the same result that I want, (laughs) those go the most poorly. (laughs) So I was amazed to find out that I really didn't care about as, far, as hard as I worked in school and I went to Georgetown University, I was like, was a hard student. I really didn't care about my career. Like when they said, give it to God, I went, okay. And they said, uh, of my best career advice, they said, my sponsor told me, show up on time and smile. That was it. Show up on time and smile. To this day... That is the best career advice I have ever, ever gotten because I had a terrible attitude. (laughs) I would would show up to work thinking, like, um, I cannot believe you're having me Xerox these papers because I am so much smarter than you. And and also thinking, but thank God you're not having me do anything more, um, more taxing than Xeroxing these papers because I'm afraid I can't do it. So sort of like the ego of, like, I'm so much better than you, and I'm so much worse than you. Like, I have no faith in myself. Anyway, and so I didn't have a good attitude. And I would constantly show up late. Like, 10, 15 minutes late, I thought was just sort of cool.
1: Like, why would it? Yeah, I'll
0: work a little later. I'd sort of have a late time clock. What's with all these early people just sort of ruling the world? Who gave them permission? So... <laughs> So my sponsor said, well, they're paying you to get there on time, so just show up on time and smile. So I did. I smiled all day. And you know what? It changed my attitude. You can't go into a place, or I couldn't go into a place smiling and not be like, I'd love to Xerox for you. Give me the papers. And like running over to the Xerox machine and doing it as fast as I can but as, you know, made, made sure it's not done askew and, you know, done really right and like sort of taking pride in my work. And then giving it to them, and the very first year that I did that, I got I got a two thousand dollar award for being a good employee, and I was only making like fourteen thousand dollars a year. That was like amazing. That was one hundred percent from sponsor direction. They said, "You are such a good employee. You are so such a pleasure to work with." And that was not the way it was before. I worked it, I had worked it maybe like one or two jobs before that, but I would get there. Like if they said it started at nine, you, I, I could get there at noon a lot of times, and I tended to find places that would allow that, <laughs> and then work late. And just it was just you know all screwed up. Anyway, so I gave it to God, and every place I went got better and better and better. Every place that I worked got better and better and better. Um, also, they told me you to repair the relationship with my parents. Now, I was a very bad daughter. I was somebody who took a lot. I, w- I would call my parents, and the first thing out of my mouth would be like, um, "I need some money." And my sponsor said to me, I, "You can't. You're not allowed to ask your parents for money anymore." And I said, "But then, what will I talk about?" <laughs> that was seriously my attitude and she said well write down three controvers- non-controversial things things that aren't going to frighten them um, and you can tell them what those are and you don't have to and ask them how they are and then you can get off the phone after five minutes it doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing because I, I tend to have black and white thinking it's like we speak forever or we don't speak at all like how does it how do you get in the middle I it's like oh five minutes great I love having a script so, so, I did that, and I repaired my relationship with my mother. Uh, my mother and I had a very antagonistic relationship. And over the years, just from calling every, every week, we, we, became, we became not at the point of... Nobody in my house yells at each other ever. That never, ever, ever happens. But we'd get to the point where we were just about to. And then, you know, it was just not comfortable. And... We had a good relationship. And in fact, this time, this past uh, month or maybe two weeks ago, I went home for a week. And my mom had been somebody who, she's very underhanded about being mean. She's, somebody, she's, she's like the ice queen. She's very beautiful. She's cool as a cucumber. I'm, like, um, very emotional. I'm not like her. And she, but she, and she always gets in these digs underneath. And, and so I had asked my sponsor, what should I do about this? And my sponsor said, say ouch when she says something that's mean and I was like oh good idea so I went there all prepared to say ouch and I didn't have to I didn't have to she was completely nice the entire time and now it makes me wonder it's like I wonder how long she's been being nice that I never noticed you know who knows I it's like the more awake I get in program the more I get to see I let's see I mean the worst thing I went through I'm going to open it up for questions just because I love questions um, not because I don't have you know I could tell you like a lot of stuff like my husband died that's the worst thing that's ever happened uh, I, which that's one thing at least probably the worst thing that's ever happened is, to me has already happened and I got through it obstinately, and it didn't even occur to me to like eat over it it didn't occur to me to break my abstinence over it. And I really think, I don't know about my past life, and by the way, if, you're, if it, everything is just my opinion, like this is what I did and this is my story, but part of these are my opinions. I think, what did I do in my past life with relationships? It was bad, whatever it was, because this is the thing that I've struggled with the most. Um, anyway, to end on the up note, um, laughter, I'm really, really happy to be here. Let you know, if you don't have any questions, that's fine, I can talk more or I can sit down either way, but I will I'd be happy to answer anything you want to you want to ask me and I just keep coming back at a day to time. That's it. Thank you. Please talk about my spiritual practice. I I am someone that needs to be reminded to talk to God. I talk to God the most in bed. Like before I'm going to sleep and before I wake up, or just when I wake up, or in cars, I'll turn, I'll turn the radio off and start talking to God. And I tend to recite prayers from the big book. I, um, like the unawakening prayer. God, please direct my thinking. Um, please divorcing, uh, the divorcing thoughts of self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. And I say the whole thing through. And then I'll just start talking to God as if God were a friend. And, like, say things like, like today, oh, I had a, you know, a tough time with Michael today. And, and you know, I'm putting this in your hands. And, and I do, my sponsor said to do the set-aside prayer. So I'm doing that. She wants me to do this one prayer for, uh, st- the third step prayer for relationships. I'll just do these by rote. And then a lot of times I'll say, thank you, God. Thank you for, thank you for my abstinence. Thank you for, you know, all my recovery. Thank you for, you know, this warm bed at night. I love being in warm beds at night. It's like, it makes me feel all cozy. So whatever whatever I'm grateful for, thank you that I can order whatever I want to at dinner. You know, I don't want the horrible things, and I can afford to buy it. This is, this is a really great thing. I'm not um, obsessed with food anymore the way I was. So that's pretty much the way I do it. Oh, good. Let's look at it. Step 10. I'm never good at the numbers. Is this... Ah, uh, this is a good one. Okay. This one I have to say as a sponsor, I'm constantly giving this as an assignment. <laughs> Anytime somebody is angry or resentful, I have them do step 10. And and uh, for me, I, I guess I say I'm sorry a lot. I guess I communicate a lot. I'm going to give you both ways because I think the way I tell Foncie is to, just to be perfectly honest, to do is it, the best way of all is go into the big book I'm resentful at you know Mr. Brown uh, the cause <laughs> if you've ever read the big book you'll get this reference but if not read the big book uh, the cause um, it made advances to my wife um, affects my personal relations sex relations um, what is my part um, I'm having an affair um, this is all an example of not having an affair um, and then, two, and then what is my part? And then the next one, living a spiritual way of life, what would I do differently? That's the most important part. My sponsor taught me that. My part, I used to get into, like, what they did to me and, and go on and on and on with the reading. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. Um, that you just do very short. What you get into is, what is your part in living a spiritual way of life? What would I do differently? That's really sort of alluded to in the big book, but they don't talk about a column for it. But when I do that, um, and when sponsees do it, it lifts me to a different plane of thinking. Suddenly I'm able to think in a way that I look at the problem from a different angle, sort of the spiritual angle. Somehow I'm able to tap into what God would have me do, and the problem sort of melts away. When I, I've done many, actually I've done many four steps, many ten steps, now that I think about it, um, I've done a lot of writing, and as, as soon as I write all these things down, I did a long, drawn-out fourth step like a year ago. As soon as I write them down, half the things are gone, you know, and by the time I read them to my sponsors, So that's pretty much it, watching for anger and resentment coming up. Yes? Can you speak on, like, your character defects,
1: specifically jealousy and envy? Not that that's. No. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. Nothing
0: like telling on ourselves. Um, I my big character defect is selfishness. That comes whenever I, when I read my inventory, and whenever I hear inventories of other people, there is usually a thread that, ra- that runs through it, and it's not always selfishness for people. <laughs> that was just my particular one perhaps yours or your friend's or somebody else's, (laughs) is jealousy or envy. And so I'll just talk about it the way I work it from being selfish. Um, For me, I I have to do the opposite action. So I give a lot of service. I sponsor a lot of people. I actually love sponsoring people. I feel like when I die, this will be the one thing that I'm like so proud that I did. That I actually help people like that. You're like I'm here and, and in a special way that only we can do. Only we who have this disease and have um, recovered from compulsive overeating can help another compulsive overeater. You know, nobody can just walk out the streets and do this. So I give service. I, that means I have commitments at meetings. Um, I'm constantly when I ha- when I sponsor people, I make them all have commitments because not only because. Well, just because that's how you stay obstinate, you know, basically. It's by working these steps. So, if it were me, I mean, I would be, if I were in the middle of a fourth step or a tenth step, I would tell my sponsor, like, hey, I'm having trouble with this. Can you help me? Do I need to do writing on this? I need to do a fourth step, tenth step. And then I just do whatever she says after I read all the writing. Like this, the Mrs., Mr. Brown example I was telling you, I'd read all that and see what is my part. And living a spiritual way of life. What can I do differently? And then whatever assignment, work assignment she gives me, or school assignment, I think, feel like this is all continuing education. I mean, really. This is just more lessons they didn't teach us in school, um, particularized to our disease. And I just do that assignment because I want to get an A. <laughs> I, I want to overcome my disease. When I have a problem and I'm ready to get rid of my problem, then I, need, I, I know I need to do the work. And just give up what the work is to what my sponsor says.
1: Can you talk
0: a little bit about how you're being in two programs? With, like, oh you yes. Two and you do and yes. Sort of out meetings and all that? Yes. I found early on. I found that. Um, am I allowed to talk about which programs I'm in or not? I'm not sure. Yeah, no
1: problem.
0: Okay. So I'm in. I'm in AAOA and Al-Anon. Um, now, I found out early on, first I was just in OA and AA, that I could go to less OA meetings, but I had to go to an OA meeting every week. I had to go to at least one OA meeting every week. I can't get, you know, um, abstinence from going to an AA meeting. Similarly, as somebody who's trying to get their food under control, you can't get it, I can't get in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I need to get my food under control in an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. So I found I was able to do less meetings I um, right now I have two sponsors that I talk to a lot and one is really right now primary she seems to be teaching me what I need to know right now Um, I don't play one sponsor off the other if I ask one sponsor something I just do that I don't call another sponsor to see what they say.
1: <laughs> ever.
0: And I think that's because I was brought up that way. Like you know, you couldn't play my mom or my dad off each other. They'd always say, "Well, what would the other one say? Well, what would she say? What'd he say?" It's like, darn, it never works. So I feel like when I do that, because I'm surrendering to to my sponsor's will, I'm taking out my will, and God is speaking to me. God is speaking to me through my sponsors. So, right now, my um, my one sponsor, in, actually in Al-Anon, is helping me the most. She just seems to know, like, she has a bead on me for what is going on now and a way to lo- a way of looking at it, But I feel like God is, like, talking to me through her. So, I'm sort of updating my other sponsors, and nobody's saying, oh, that's a horrible thing to do, but they're not as primary right now because she just seems to, she, she's delivering the message right now. But... When I had to do something really important, like my, uh, I had a fiance, I didn't know whether to leave him. I made sure all my sponsors agreed on this. Like, not, and not one said, hey, is there something you should be looking at in you first? And it was like, everybody was like, you know what? Leave. You know, it's not a good situation. So something really important like that, I get agreement, but mostly I just go to one and just do whatever they say. And, and I go to, and I go to a lot of meetings. I go to a lot of meetings. Thank you. How do
1: you bring your program to
0: driving in L.A.? Oh, that's that's hilarious. Okay. That's actually a really good story. Uh, The question is, how do I bring my program from from public transportation to driving in L.A.? Which can be, um, you know, anger management. So, actually, I used to be, I became a really angry person driving, and at one point, Um, Bless you. At one point, I almost got into a terrible accident. There was this guy there, and I was driving too fast, and I wanted to get in front of him, and I cut him off. And he almost hit this car. Okay, he was in a sports car. Oh, it's over. So I'm just going to tell you, he came after me. He came after me. And he scared the bejesus out of me. And I never drove like that ever again. I realized I had a problem. I took step one. And then I took step three and gave it to God. Thank you very much.